0: Hello, everyone. Good to be with all of you today. I'm Suzanne Kilkes, the trusted uh, resident teacher here in Madison at Open Door. Um, Flint is away today, so he's asked me to teach as he did with uh, Joel last week. So let's begin with um, 10 minutes of meditation. Some uh, gentle, quiet, sitting. Practice with each other.
1: In a moment, you'll hear the bell.
0: This is really a remarkable thing that we do, offering sitting with each other. A colleague of mine said yesterday that she begins all her psychotherapy sessions with sitting for two to three minutes prior to continuing. What she's noticed over time is that it affects what arises between the people from within the person. This gentle act of sitting has this kind of effect. Let's see what will arise as we complete our sitting with reciting the verse of The Robe. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction, wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Jessica, can you put us on gallery for all of us just to take a a moment of just looking at each other, seeing each other, meeting each other? Thank you. Just scanning the screen, the screens. When you all were first coming on, it, you know, Flint often says it's like popcorning, and it truly is. And maybe many of you have noticed that we popcorn each other um, into each other's lives. All right, Jessica. Thank you. I want to return today to the five remembrances that Joel brought to us last week. I'm so grateful um, for what he did in bringing us, bringing those remembrances, those contemplations to us. I want to offer them in a bit of a, with a bit of a different lens though today. So as you hear them again, please notice the effect hearing them has in your body, with your breath, in your mind, and in your emotions. I am of the nature to get old. There's no escape from getting old. I am of the nature to get sick. There's no escape from getting sick. I am of the nature to die someday. There's no escape from death. All that is dear to me and everyone I love are of the nature to change. There is no way to escape being separated from them. My choices and actions are my only true belongings. And in the Plum Village version, they add, I inherit the results of my actions of body, speech, and mind. My actions are my continuation. I brought us back here to have them be the foundation for what I want to say with a slightly different lens, as I said. Please forgive me if something is redundant from what Joel offered us last week, but I think it's worth another look. The Buddha offered these as subjects for contemplation, to be reflected on frequently. When I think about that, my guess is that in his studying his own mind and observing his culture, 2,600 years ago, he clearly saw how we human beings struggle with and cause suffering, facing these truths and using them to guide our lives and to reduce suffering. Here's another list, it's shorter, but no less worthy of contemplation. Rare, incurable, progressive, and eventually fatal. This is the description of the blood cancer diagnosis I was given six years ago last month. With a prognosis of four to six years. That was last month. When I read this description, about a year into having received the diagnosis, I quickly realized it was also a good description of life as it is. Now, that may seem or may have been a way for me to soften the personal impact of it. However, I took it to heart as I needed to proceed with mainstream medical treatment and assess the self-care structure of my life including my activities, my nutrition, my work, my relationships, you know, the whole picture. And here's where the five remembrances became frequent contemplations for me. I've been aware of them for many years and brought them up in contemplation occasionally, but getting this diagnosis, and I'm guessing many of you can identify with this, changes how I considered what was before me. It's one thing to consider them generally as the basic truths of life's path. It's another to see them through a lens of a personal condition. The first three were playing out in bold relief. I am aging. Uh, That's kind of a no brainer. I have a serious illness and the prognosis I was given clearly indicated death sooner rather than later and sooner than I wanted if not from something else getting me first. A word about receiving a prognosis like this. Some people don't want to know what this means. I know people who don't want even to name the cancer condition out of concern. It will taint their minds thought process and begin down the path of expectation. Some people use it as a wake up call to reassess their lives and lifestyle. Some people use it as a container to ask the question, if this is the case, how then do I want to live? I found this last question helpful. Shortly after I received this diagnosis, and actually it was quite miraculous and and uh, mysterious. A week after I had seen the doctor on my in my email list came an invitation to a cancer retreat with a very well known Qigong teacher. Um, I thought this is probably a good thing to do. So I did go to this cancer retreat. My husband came with me and this person eventually became my Qigong teacher. One of the things that he had us do, one of the first things actually, was to make a list of our reasons for living. You might think that this was easy for people to do, but I discovered it was not. People struggled with this. Would this really make a difference? Could this really help? What if the illness continued to progress? Would this have been a waste of time and take us away from more important things? What Master Lin wanted us to know and experience is that identifying something we could take some charge of in our lives gives us grounding for our choices and the freedom to let go of what was not important. Here in Madison, we had a wonderful teacher, Sherry Maples. She's not with us any longer on the planet. She said at a a retreat once, we don't want to have what matters most to us to be at the mercy of what matters least. Being given the prognosis I had helped me to sort, to sort out what mattered most and release what mattered less or least. Even if it was something I loved, because eventually I had to stop my working as a marriage and family therapist Um, that helped me attend to my reasons for what I wanted my life to be about I hope that makes some sense, we might talk about that later. The first three years following this diagnosis, I was told there wasn't anything to be done that this was a wait and see period until there was the expected progression. I'm not a wait and see kind of person, generally, and so I researched, as many of us would, and took actions in nutrition, movement, and other lifestyle aspects. My mindset was a pretty common one for cancer. I'm going to beat this thing, or I'm going to be a rarity and go into NED, no evidence of disease state. Even though I was told this isn't curable, I thought I would be special. Three years ago, when I did have a significant progression, I felt let down by all the actions I had taken to ward off the progression. Deeply looking into myself, I realized I was in a state of what Barry Magid, in his book, Ending the Pursuit of Happiness, called curative fantasy. The idea that if I do all the right spiritual practices and do them consistently and rightly, they will keep me from what I want to avoid well busted as Flint reminded us again during our retreat this past weekend practice doesn't protect us from life. It helps us to have a right relationship with what arises moment to moment and by what a, what I mean by right relationship. It's the acceptance of what is with an open warm hearted response rather than a fear-based reaction. As I proceeded to follow the treatment recommendations at that point, which was 36 chemo infusions over six months, seven blood transfusions, followed by 18 months of oral chemo that made me quite sick, all of which were to prepare me for a stem cell transplant, I again entered a period of hope that this would make a difference. It didn't. None of it worked. I didn't even get to the stem cell transplant point. None of the preparations worked. So late last winter, I decided to stop it all out of considering what was more important, the quality of my life, even if it was going to be shortened. Or trying to get something to work that was giving me evidence of not working and keeping me in a suspended state of efforting. Trying hard to make something happen. This helped me to deepen practice. Practicing for practice's sake, for expressing Buddha nature in each moment, to live and be lived for the well being of all beings. I continue, though, on an experimental drug treatment that's what it's considered that actually strongly appears to be reversing the progression I had. And I accept on a new level this illness condition I've been given. Like I've heard from many people in alcohol and drug recovery, I'm grateful for the illness that has opened my heart and mind in ways I would not have been able to do on my own. And I had so many people to help me, to guide me, to support me through this all. And just when I was having thoughts that I'm in the stream flowing in the right direction, and nothing will impede me on my spiritual path, something happens. That something recently was the death of a dear friend from cancer. She was the age of my children. Wham! I was slammed with fear, and the fourth remembrance stood at my door. All that is dear to me and everyone I love are of the nature to change. There is no way to escape being separated from them. Some of the thoughts or questions that came to me is, what could I do? How can I keep this from happening to my children or grandchildren? Of course, there is no solution for any of this. These are the truths, the facts of being in this impermanent animal body and the messy miracles of our lives. Messy because we have little control of what is handed to us and miracle because we're here at all. Our retreat with Flint this past week focused on what the Buddha learned in his deep consideration and contemplation. Those first six years after he left his home and studied and practiced and trained with so many teachers. But sitting under the Bodhi tree, he discovered that everything depends on everything else for its very existence, and that everything is in constant change. Further, there is nothing but flux and flow, a contingent universe with no fixed beginnings or end. The Buddha awoke to dependent co-arising. Patika Samupada all the teachings arise from this truth everything turns and returns to this when i contemplate these truths not intellectually but experientially through my body or this body i settle i breathe i act in true nature or at least my actions i hope are coming from true nature And life proceeds on this path of rare incurable progressive and eventually fatal. The last thing I want to offer is a reminder Flint gave us yesterday during our post retreat practice discussion group. He reminded us that when we die everything will continue on. So I thought about that when I die. Everything will continue on without me. Life doesn't need me. At first, I thought I found this shocking, which is proof, of course, of my attachment to the idea that my personal life is needed for things to continue. Um, But then I found it actually relieving. With this realization, it's best to shift from attempting to what Joanna Macy describes as our our ability or our lean toward predicting, analyzing, and trying to control. What she suggests is to move into appreciating, encouraging, supporting, and loving all that life offers us, especially when it's difficult. So, to quote the poet Bodhisattva Mary Oliver, what is it you want to do with your one wild and precious life? Ah, so what thoughts do you have? What questions do you have for yourself, for all of us here? Ah, Becky's right here. Go ahead, Becky.
2: Mm -hmm. Thank you so very much for this. This was quite wonderful. The first thing, though, I want to, to express is that you rang the invited, the most beautiful bell that I've heard while I've been on Zoom. And what happened was it's the first time that I've heard, like, the the motion of it as as the reverberations got smaller sounding. And so I looked at all of us and I thought, this bell is being heard around the world. The resonations of it are going everywhere because we are everywhere. And that was it was just beautiful and I wanted to thank you for that experience. Um, you must have better settings than some of the bells I hear. <laughs> um, and, and then, and then, is what you brought to us more in general of, of your sharing of your journey uh, that has, again, more a huge resonation for me uh, in, in that uh, uh, I, I have had cancer. That for like uh it's over 10 years now and that as I stepped into it I had already been pretty clear and let myself become completely clear that I didn't want to do the conventional tra- um, cancer treatment programs and so I did all the things you were talking about uh, to uh to try to deal with it myself, and I certainly that, you know, I'll fool them, you know, <laughs> all of all of that uh, range of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, in 2019, when I came back to Canada, was because I wasn't. I mean, it was clearly more than I could cope with at that particular point. It had been fine for quite a long
1: time, mm-hmm.
2: and uh, and. I wanted to explore what could be offered to me here. Um, The first thing I did when I realized I had cancer was to sit with myself quite deeply uh, to know that I felt comfortable taking personal responsibility rather than turning it over to the medical people uh, for my life or death, whichever way it went, for however long it went. And. Um, and I think that's an important thing, uh, whether whether you're turning over the responsibility to someone else about how to be healed, or that you are participating in it actively, or saying, I'll do what I can, mm-hmm. uh, that I think that, that that moment when we truly take in what is information right now, right, not just the general one, but I think that my my personal experience of of the five remembrances, every time every time I hear it, every time I say it, is is a freedom, mm-hmm. because everything that it's naming is so true. You can't just say, "Oh, never mind that," uh, and that when we can say it, when we can talk with each other about it, when we can bring it up in a way that we recognize the I call them the druthers, the things that we would rather be true, um, that, that we, that we are in that, in just in that process, we are living life more fully, Mm -hmm. more really. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so I, I just find it liberating, because I think our society's approach to, you know, don't talk about it, don't, don't uh, whatever, do everything you can to grasp on to as many minutes of life you have, mm-hmm. rather than, as you were saying, the whole process of, of recognizing that however best I can live this moment mm-hmm. is my life. Mm-hmm. So I just really thank you for this so much. Um, and, um, and I'll just ask because Qigong was real important to me throughout the, mm-hmm. the whole process. And so was I'm just going to ask: Was it the uh, Spring Forest that you were doing? Yes, yes. I thought so. That's the Then, well, and it's been adapted to Western people in a way that I think mm-hmm. works better. I've done both the um, uh, more traditional one in in Chinese practice, um, and and I find that that one, the that the Spring Forest, is one that i can bring into my body more easily mm-hmm. and and i think that i think that it is so in keeping with our practice that it works together in in a way where we can have bodyfulness as well as mindfulness and heartfulness so just, thank you i just that's I, I
0: thank you for sharing your journey in such a clear way
2: mm-hmm.
0: Thank you for your teaching, Becky. Thanks for just filling everything out here.
1: Mm-hmm. Go ahead. yes. Hi, Suzanne. Oh. I'm, Kath- oh. Catherine. I'm Catherine. Oh, yes. Catherine. Yes. And I, I, um, I'm part of the Nothing Special Sangha in Sheffield. Yes. Yes. Felt very moved by what both of you have said. Very. Mm-hmm so my question I haven't got a cancer diagnosis but um my husband has a diagnosis of mild cognitive impairment mm-hmm. and is getting slowly worse mm-hmm. and um, from that position my question to you Suzanne is how how did you How did you hold the fear that arises in these situations? Mm -hmm. Any practices? Mm -hmm. Um, What was helpful? Because I find that certainly during the day I can contain my fear Mm -hmm. but sometimes at night I can't. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Oh that's such a good question catherine because fear is always a part of this whatever the condition we're faced with and um i really like tiknak hans guidance with these difficult emotions he suggests that we hold these emotions like we're holding a baby very tenderly and I mean, we even do the action very tenderly holding this baby of fear fear is always about something either a perception or an actuality that something precious to me is in danger and so when we consider that i mean from a perception perspective we can ask ourselves is that true and sometimes we can say no i'm not really in danger but my nervous system just got activated by something but sometimes we it is true our life is in danger or our loved one's life uh, is changed uh, in inalterable ways and we what are we faced with here and then we hold our fear very tenderly and we breathe with it and when we breathe deeply take deep breaths in and long slow exhales out we shift from the parasympathetic system of our nervous system which gets activated in fear I'm sorry, our sympathetic nervous system, which gets activated in fear to our parasympathetic system, which is governed by our vagus nerve. And we become calm, even though the face of fear. And in that way, we create a gap between our experience and what is before us.
1: Does that make sense, Catherine? And it's yes to be reminded yeah I you know
0: as often as this comes up and as often as we might practice it's really a good idea to remember that we don't have to practice this alone and that we do need buddies yeah helping us hold this fearful thing both of my parents towards the ending of their life my father starting in his 60s and my mother in her 80s but both of them had pretty significant cognitive impairment so i i have a feel for that in terms of a parent uh, my parent but not my my partner but the feel of that is oh my what what's going to happen now how are we going to continue you know in my case my my siblings and i how are we going to care for them especially when my dad especially was so resistant to addressing anything with us. So it really, um, it brought up a lot of concern, fears, feelings of being out of control.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thank you, Suzanne. I I feel very supported by this anger. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes. Thank you, Catherine. I have Nancy next.
3: Hello, Nancy. Hello, Suzanne. So nice to see you.
0: Good to have you here.
3: Yeah, it's great to be here. This is my first afternoon inquiry. So I, um, and I wasn't intending on speaking. I was just going to like experience for the first time. My, um, and I expected Flint and and you arrived. So I'm um, not sure what that's about, but it's beautiful. Um, and so, first of all, I wanna say thank you again for sharing your journey. Um, it's quite um, amazing that I think the first time that I sat with you a few months ago, um, you invited um, people to, to do a as a tea or an inquiry. And I just jumped on. And at that time I had just really started to cope with my son's diagnosis of T-cell lymphoma. and And you shared your journey and I had no idea. And it was kind of magical to have, um you at my side Mm -hmm. as i was just beginning the journey and um today when i decided to jump on i um i just kind of scheduled it into my day because i was really struggling and um, tomorrow i'm going with my son and his wife uh, to begin his stem cell transplant Mm -hmm. um, journey and as I've read through a lot of the, the books this weekend about what he's about to endure, there is a great fear. Um, and, you know, like a, a desire to say, well, maybe we won't do that. Maybe we'll just, we'll just, we'll live each day, we'll live with what we have. But of course, it's not my choice. And I have to just um, show up. And um, I love what you said about fear and holding your emotions as if it were something very dear. Mm-hmm. Because last night I had this image as I laid in bed of just like crawling in bed with him and just holding him um, as he starts his process. So, um, but one thing that has been helpful for me with my fear is I took a training not too long ago, just a little Zoom training because I need some CEUs for my licensure and I was on forever letters and it was about writing letters to people you loved mm-hmm. and having them be, um, to, to try and attempt it to be letters that they would want to keep for themselves forever, mm-hmm. you know, and it's a little more complex than that, but um, Like this morning at about four in the morning, I was up um, kind of ruminating and writing. Um, I actually was writing to my girlfriend who also is struggling with cancer quite seriously now. But but that's been helpful this summer to do writing. Mm -hmm. Um, Oftentimes at night when I can't sleep, I'll just come down and write. cards to friends or notes to kids or letters to myself, or I have a journal that I kind of write to my son. Um, so that really helps with my fear as it kind of gets triggered. Yes. Uh, so I don't know if that's helpful um, because it's like, if I could take it, if I could take what my son has and have it for myself, then I could be more proactive about what I would like to do, but you don't get to do that either. Right. So you just have to be on the journey. And, um, so I just want to thank you. It's bizarre that you're talking about this today today. Um, and that, and that our paths are, are here again. So I just want to say, thank you for that. Thank you for sharing.
0: You're very welcome. You're very welcome Nancy. There's a couple of things that come to me one is it sounds like your writing is in conversation with the fear yeah and when we when we can approach it as something to have a conversation with we reduce the suffering of it fear is a natural occurrence of our life we human beings are Mm -hmm. wired that way and we don't ever want to get rid of it because it's really a very protective Emotion, right? I mean, if we're truly in fear, we want to know it. Mm -hmm. Right. The other thing is that we never know the effect that our writing to another person has on them. Mm -hmm. I have a, a good example of it was just astounding for me to discover this 30 years ago, one of my younger brothers entered addiction treatment. And so I wrote him a letter, just, you know, I'm here with for you. I really support you. I want you to know, you know, you're still my brother. I love you. You know, just, you know, sisterly things.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: About 10 years ago, I was with him. He opened up his wallet and he pulled out this letter, dog-eared, you know, creased and all of that. And he said, I want you to know I have had this in my wallet since you sent it to me. Wow. I was. I was stunned. To me, it felt like, you know, I'm just going to send my brother a letter and let him know. It Mm -hmm. had such a profound effect on both of us for him at the time that he kept it for so long. And for me to get that picture of we never know what the effect is going to be. But, you know, it's not like we do something for the effect. Right. When we do it, we offer it and then the ripples are out and they're not
3: in our control. Nice. That's very helpful to remember that. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
3: Thank you.
0: I really wish you your son well tomorrow. I I had this all very described to me because I was supposed to go into it. And um, I got a picture of what it would be
3: like. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it'll be a journey. It'll be a journey, yes. Yeah, thank you.
4: Hi, Suzanne. Katie. So um, you and I haven't met before, um, but you did uh, come to our Sangha Awakening together.
3: Oh, yes. (laughs) Offer
4: a a teaching. So that's how I know you. Okay. Okay. (laughs) You don't know me, but I know you. And I'm like, do I hit the hand raised button or not? (laughs) So here I am since nobody else jumped in. Mm-hmm. Um I I just really want to thank you for this. Um it's given me a lot of resources actually in my own journey. Um last week I you know I was given a diagnosis of something rare and curable, progressive, likely not fatal, mm-hmm. but um you know something that uh, is really fearful for me, and that's a, a re- the just the thought of reduction in my capacities and pain, yes. just mm-hmm. in general. Mm-hmm. So um, I I really like what uh, the, the the conversation with Nancy around writing, and I'm going to take that for my own. Um, because I I just realized that so much of the processing I'm doing is up here.
0: Mm -hmm.
4: And um, and I I just don't know how helpful that really is. (laughs) It feels like I'm doing a lot of work without really any benefit, you know? Mm -hmm. And, And truly just showing up for this today is the type of things that I know I need to do mm-hmm. to face whatever. I don't know what mm-hmm. all this means. I truly don't know, mm-hmm. you know, what any of this um, means about my physical health. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you ask the question, what do I want my life to be about?
5: Mm-hmm. You know,
4: you actually post several different questions and that one really sp- stuck out to me. And um, a lot of that just doesn't have so much to do with what I can do physically. <laughs> you know? Yes. Um, in terms of what I want my life to be about. Mm-hmm. And um, I am, I was curious as you said it, like uh, when you pose that question, if this is part of what you wanted your life to be about this touching others and, um, just wanted to reflect back to you that it's working. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Fulfilling it, it, it.
0: it is, it is what I did. I do want my life to be about in whatever way I can do that.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and so I'm a person in recovery. I, I have over 20 years of recovery. Um, And I really, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I really appreciated what you said about that earlier, just that people, um, in recovery almost are always talking about their gratitude Mm -hmm. for the experience because it completely shifts, um, uh, what is this about what is this all about you yes. know and yes. and the surrender uh, that needs to happen for recovery to happen mm-hmm. um so with this too i it reminds me about oh yeah you know how this works <laughs> surrender surrender mm-hmm. to this to this mm-hmm. moment to this experience to um whatever this is about mm-hmm. and knowing that I'm pretty limited in terms of what I can do but it doesn't mean I can't do anything
0: that's right that's right that's what I really learned when I was told early on well we're going to wait and see I was rather shocked by that like what let's <laughs> what? do wait,
4: something right? wait and,
0: and, and that first thing it was well what can I do and then it was well how do I want to be And that's what I'm hearing you say.
4: Absolutely. Well, I'm hearing, you're hearing me say it because I heard you say it. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) we're we're
0: exchanging encouragements
4: here, which is the best thing ever. Well, and I just, I'm really taking it. And so uh, this... Yeah, I, there's um, a lightness right here mm. that hasn't been there for the last week. So mm-hmm.
1: thank you. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. You're very welcome. And thank you for your teaching, Katie.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <clears throat> Hello, Joel, my buddy.
6: Hi, Suzanne. And thank you so much for this, for this talk. Mm -hmm. extremely powerful as all all of us have experienced Mm -hmm. speaking the the truest truth I want to ask if you would go over again the parts that you were sharing at the end about uh, uh, other about gratitude and appreciation and love Mm -hmm. just talk about I mean you are living that; it's, it's very clear. Mm-hmm. But would you go through that list again and
1: mm-hmm. just
6: talk about your experience of what you reflect and what reflections you receive from those viewpoints or from those mm-hmm. stances?
0: Well, when Flint said that to us yesterday, he was reminding us, you know, um, that. Um, there were a couple people in the group who um, loved ones have died in the last year. And we were talking about our own. That when that happens, our own deaths, and he said, you know, when you die, everything will continue on without you, it, because life doesn't need you. Uh, I heard that and I went, well, given everything we've been talking about in the retreat. This is not personal. And Flint often says to us, this is not personal. This, the fact that you have this illness or that this happened, it's not personal, its it's life. But our attempts to try to control it or analyze it or predict something so that we can do something about it just causes more suffering. And I really noticed that at different points in the last six years what I was doing so that I could go, wait a minute, what do I really need to be doing here is appreciating, encouraging, supporting and loving everything that life has to offer me. Because the truth is the last six years have been remarkable. I have a young doctor, as a, uh, my oncologist is a young doctor And when I started working with her, she was pretty much by the book. And I said to her, you know, I, I just have a whole lot of other things that I think about this. And I'm wondering if you'd be willing to collaborate with me. And vice versa, I'll collaborate with you. So we made deals, we made deals all along. And when I told her that I was going to stop all the conventional treatment last winter, she was very concerned she said you know i i understand why you want to i understand that you're quite sick from this medicine and she said but i'm concerned about what will happen and i and i said i can appreciate that and it is what i need to do and she said okay i'll go along with you i know people whose doctors have fired them at that point point." and so the fact that she could appreciate me and appreciate and i could appreciate her And her and and the limits of what she could do and couldn't do. That that container or that expansion of appreciation and encouragement and support just meant everything. Whatever, Whatever condition, whether it's a physical condition or an emotional one or a relational one, which I worked with for years. As soon as we expand into that and we breathe deeply into it. Something changes. We might not be in the direction we want it to be. I knew I was taking a risk and she was concerned about it. And it was a risk I was willing to open up to. And I'm grateful that she was willing to do that as well. Is that a response for you in what you asked Joel?
6: I muted myself because my dog was barking before. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yes, thank you so much, Suzanne. Mm-hmm. I just and again, what I hear in in the story you just shared was your mutual support for your doctor, you know, and your and the and that speaking from what is true for you, mm-hmm. you, that didn't mean that you had to fire her. That's right. That's right. And and you were and that this is This is an unfolding that will continue
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: as it all is joel and i know you know that <laughs> as it all is as you said so well last week mm-hmm. just recognizing the preciousness of our community and what we bring to each other each week and offer to each other each week and in being here sitting with each other
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Thank you.
0: Is there one more for what Flint often calls the lightning round? <laughs> if there is, we can. And if they're not, we'll just sit in silence for a couple of minutes. hmm
5: Okay, Mike. I. No. I decided to uh, not sit in this place where I would be going. I really want to raise my hand, and then I didn't. So I did, and I just wanted to say, what a wonderful inquiry! What a wonderful share! How beautiful I feel, um, and how. The message that I received from everybody, and starting with yourself, is that this all applies to life. And and what I get to bring it to, and you had mentioned just a few minutes ago how we can bring it to different things like relationship and emotions, mm-hmm. I'm not just physical. Mm-hmm. I'm carrying my daughter and her husband working through tough stuff and probably separating. Yes. And as a dad and a grandpa, I. Can sit with it and be present, mm-hmm. and not try to jump in and fix, but to honor them by bringing my peace to it. And and more, when I think about some of the things you shared and talked about today, I can breathe through my fear,
4: mm-hmm.
5: so that my presence is encouraging.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: And um, you know, someone said I think it was Katie about being and doing, and Glint is fond to say to me, "Bring your being into your doing." and because i'm a doer to the max oh,
0: that's perfect yes I, I i know that when he says that that's right yeah
5: mm-hmm. and so when i do that and i bring my heart into my being mm-hmm. and into my doing it's so precious this was a beautiful experience i mostly wanted to say thank you
0: mm-hmm. thank you thank you so much mike mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing Kathy's message. Thank you, Kathy. Ah, so let's complete with the practice principles, which seem very appropriate after our, all of our conversations here. <clears throat> Caught in the self centered dream, only suffering, holding to self centered thought, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for being here. I'll turn it back over to Jessica. Mm
1: -hmm. Thank you so much, Suzanne. What a beautiful inquiry. Thank you, everyone. I've placed in the chat um, the link if you'd like to make a financial contribution. All of the contributions that are made, uh, whether through your time, your energy, um, your finances, or your skills, are uh, so, so appreciated. Uh, So if you'd like to make a financial contribution appamata.org or uh, Open Door has a website as well. You can make a a contribution there. Um, Thank you all for, for your attention and your time. I'll turn it over now.